Trev, you and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. By Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you live. And beautifully in person. This is the first time I get to sit across the table and look eye to eye with Dan as we talk about baseball. So Dan, how excited are you to have this opportunity to record this podcast in person? Yeah, excited for the pod, for sure. Well, obviously we're getting so much closer to the regular season. Uh, World Baseball Classic has now been final. Japan did, in fact, beat the United States to close that out, but uh, we have a ton of preview content, so we're not going to spend really any time today talking about the World Baseball Classic, and we're going to get right into it. It's 8.30. Dan still got a 45-minute ride home, uh, so we're going to make sure we have respect for his time and get him out of here as quickly as possible. So you ready to get right into the previews? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out late on a school night or something right now. You know, I know I still have a 45-minute drive ahead of me. It's getting late. Brady's sleeping here on, on the floor. Um, so that's kind of like my, uh, you know, my warning that, you know, better watch the clock. Yeah, our loyalist of loyal listeners is on the ground right now. He doesn't usually get to get into the office when we're recording, so now he's in the kitchen because we're sitting here across the table conference style. Uh, so he's getting to tune in, and he's he's being pretty good right now. So when Dan starts getting attacked because Brady wants to play, uh, we might have to hit the pause on the record. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that when it comes. So, but. Obviously, with the NL Central, uh, that's what we're going to start our preview content with. And the reason why we're coming to you with the NL Central to kick it off is because they're probably the least interesting division in baseball. So By far. <laughs> So, so we're gonna kick him off uh hopefully get this done as quick as possible but you know we got a ton of uh, content to go through because obviously there are a decent amount of storylines so dan before we get into just the overall preview uh what are some things that that you're looking forward to for this season from from the nl central it's like can anyone excite us from that division you know what i mean like yeah. you know it, it feels like for a couple years now it's like you know what you're gonna get out of the cardinals you really know what you're going to get out of the, the Brewers, right? You know that the, the Brewers are going to be a fringe wild card team. They're going to pitch it. They're going to be searching for offense, right? And then Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, two teams that are tanking. Um, and 
that's probably a nice way of putting what some of the, the their rosters look like is tanking. But and then the Cubs, who I think we'll get, we'll obviously get into it here in a little bit. But the Cubs are like the team that's like starting to make their move. Obviously, after Epstein left, and you had Brian Rizzo leave um, after that kind of World Series window closed a lot quicker than everybody thought. They've started to kind of be like, all right, this, they've moved some chess pieces on the board, um, and and they might be a little bit more exciting. I don't think they're going to be good enough still. Yeah, let's kick it off with the Cubs because I got a lot of thoughts on on that team. I think last year there was definitely an effort to improve. Um, I think they went about it in an interesting way, to say the least, kind of a la the Marlins this year where they're kind of prioritizing content and or contact, not content. Yeah, we pro- we prioritize content. content. <laughs> Try to. <at> least. <laughs> they're prioritizing contact. And you see this year one of the most interesting, probably not talked about offseason additions that they had is Edwin Rios, who I think gives a different mix. So um, obviously the big storyline with the, with the Cubs this year is can the aged assets regain the old top form while the youth movement c- contributes? So it's kind of just a weird mix of guys, in my opinion. You have guys that you would deem as past their prime, like Cody Bellinger, Trey Mancini, um, Eric Hosmer, even to a certain extent, Jamison Tyon and Marcus Stroman. You have a guy in Dansby Swanson who could be hitting a peak here. Um, and obviously, Ian Happ had a great year last year. But then you combine that group with the Justin Steeles, Hayden Wesnecki, Nico Horner, Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morrell, and Nick Madrigals of the world. And to me, it just feels like a weird mix. Is that a mix that, in your opinion, you think can actually win a division? No, I don't think they can win the division. Um, I just think that the you know the clubs ahead of them in the Brewers and the Cardinals are just like far and away just at different stages and that's fine but I think what they've done is it is an interesting mix um I'm happy you mentioned Christopher Morrell because he was a really good story last year and he ended up he was probably one of their better players especially in the second half um but like it's 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 weird because you have a bunch of guys like you said they're names that people know right like when you mentioned Bellinger and Swanson and Tyon and Stroman like those are names everyone knows and then they have a good kind of nucleus potentially of young guys is it going to blend in order for them to take the steps they need to get over the hump and win a division no I don't even think it puts them really in the playoff picture but it puts them right around the 500 mark which just keep improving, right? That's what your fan base wants. And I think the moves of getting guys like Swanson in there, and Swanson's clearly in it for the, the next yeah. you know window of them yeah. competing. That's why they signed him. They gave him the years. They gave him the money. And I really, really like the fit there. Like, that's a guy who, just from a leadership standpoint and a culture standpoint, is going to fit in any clubhouse you put him in. And he's going to be a guy that people gravitate towards. Right, and that's necessary, right? It's kind of the role that Anthony Rizzo played in their previous championship window, right? He's yeah. a guy that everyone in the clubhouse um, kind of gravitates towards and can look up to, and Swanson can take that role. And then, you know, Hap's obviously going to be a good leader. Uh, and, and I like the move of not bringing back Contreras. Don't pay the money for a guy who, you know, just to me – there were better options out there and he was going to command a good deal and he got one from St. Louis and sure it hurts a little bit that he goes to your biggest rival but I think it makes sense that they let him walk and then it's sad that we're talking about Cody Bellinger possibly being past his prime it feels like this should be like when he came up and exploded like you would think that a guy who won the MVP in 19 
would be in his prime, wouldn't you? Yeah. You would you would imagine he'd still be on the Dodgers right now. I mean, to the point of owing him because obviously that first year of arbitration was so high and the number could only go up that the Dodgers felt like it was better to walk away from $15 million of Cody Bellinger, who still plays a pretty solid center field and still can flash some power. They felt like it was in their better interest to walk away from him and go a separate way. So, you know, that shows the value and kind of the plummet. And and let's get into Cody Bellinger since you brought him up is obviously we've seen some videos I mean, it would be foolish for him to be ignorant enough to not try to make a swing change, right? That wouldn't be in his best interest. He wants to extend his career in the big leagues. And obviously, whatever he's been doing over the last couple of years is not the same thing he was doing in 2019 when he was winning an MVP. So um, in your opinion, obviously, we haven't seen a ton of him this spring. We're going to get full bore uh, once we get into the season. But is it possible for Cody Bellinger to regain that 2019 form? I mean, you never know, right? Like, and, and to think that someone's going to get back to MVP forms a little bit, I think tough to to kind of put that on a player. But I think he can get back to at least being closer to the version of Cody Bellinger that's an MVP than what we've seen the last two years. And I think, you know, injury issues were the biggest thing, right? When you look at a guy who has levers, and you know this better than I do, but when you look at someone – hitters and guys with long levers like it it takes a lot for them to get into the positions they need to just because of their anatomy right they they have long arms they have longer legs he's a tall guy and he's you know you have to have so many moving parts to get through the swing whereas guys who are a little bit of tighter build and and I don't want to say shorter arms but you know tighter built um like Mike Trout where it's such a quick and compact swing it's a lot easier for him from year to year make an adjustment and stay consistent whereas Bellinger when you have those moving parts and then you have injuries piled on top of it I think it's been tough for him but I think he could get closer to the MVP player than the guy who's getting released um, or shipped out by the Dodgers yeah I think the big question that I come to is is the talent still there I believe the talent's still there. It might not be 100% of the talent that he showed at the beginning of his career, um, but there's definitely some talent in there, and he doesn't have to win an MVP at this point in his career. Nobody's expecting him to win an MVP, but he has to bring value of some form to continue an MLB career, quite frankly, to sign a free agent contract. I think he would bounce around for a while, but obviously when he made his debut and he lit the world on fire for those first couple of years, you thought he was going to be one of the best players in the league for years. years. I mean, he yeah. was early 20s raking, right. competing for MVPs. I right. mean, he was playing better than Corey Seager. And Corey Correct. Seager, you know, signed a contract for life-changing money. And look at Cody Ballinger. So, I mean, obviously the swing changes that he needs, that's a tough thing to say for certain. Uh, there's obviously some flaws in his swing. But I think the talent's still there. The raw power's still there. The speed's still there. The defensive ability's still there. And if he's able to kind of take that and turn it into a successful next couple years, I think he's with the Cubs at least for two. Um, I think that was part of the reason why he ended up in Chicago was because they gave him a little bit of longevity there uh, for a guy who was non-tendered. Um, you know, I think that it's definitely possible for him to still continue to flash. Another guy, and speaking of guys who flashed, uh, Seiya Suzuki. Um, He's obviously a guy who came on the scene hot, to say the least. Yeah. Um, Hit a lot of home runs early in that year. 
He kind of faded over the summer, and then he finished extremely strong, at least in terms of batted ball profiles and expected runs produced. Uh, you know, he flashes good speed, which people don't really know that much no. about him. Um, he stole 12 bases plus 14, something in that range. He, uh, he definitely could push for 2020, and he obviously showed pretty good uh, barrel percentage with 78th percentile in the league. Um, apparently, he showed up physical, ready to go. Um, second year in America. Uh, it's obviously a pretty large adjustment, at least from my perspective. It is the the most talented league in the world, even if A-Rod says that analytics aren't in um, Japan, meaning that Japan has a better base brand of baseball. Yeah, that's why they won. Yeah, you know. Because if Mark DeRusa had just bunted one of those guys in that U.S. lineup, I'm sure they would have won, you know. Go ahead and give uh, Kyle Schwarber a bunt sign. Yeah, seriously, that's why Jeff McNeil played the first couple of games, and they <laughs> In didn't. Case they had a bunt opportunity. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, Suzuki definitely showed some tools that can translate to the league. Is the production going to match the tools? I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You never know, and and unfortunately, he came into the spring and was swinging the bat well, and then he obviously hurt his oblique, and now he hasn't been. You know, he hasn't played in any games in the Cactus League and I think probably going on a couple weeks now, um, which is unfortunate because for, for a team like the Cubs, we're going to talk about them ever having a chance of the playoffs. Things like injuries and guys getting off to slow starts can't happen, right? Yeah. Like for In order for a team like that to um, make the playoffs, they need to get off to a good start and then build confidence. Um, as far as Suzuki goes, I think he's going to be a good player. right? I think just the fact that he you know hits the ball hard and he finds barrels – Right, that, that's clues that usually lead to success, right? And even if you have some tough luck and there was an adjustment period, which I think was obviously expected when you come over, um, right? It's just like a, when a rookie comes up. It's the same thing. Guys are rookies. It's his first year in the big leagues. There's going to be an adjustment period no matter how talented they are. Um, I, I would expect to see a jump, and they need to see that, right? Because, again, when you're talking about, okay, the Cubs are getting ready to compete, and we mentioned Swanson. Like, say if Suzuki's right in the middle of that conversation, okay, if we're going to compete and open up another championship window and have an opportunity to make it far, he's got to be, I would think, a big piece in that. I think, just from looking at the roster, I think if you told me a Cub won an MVP this year, I think it would be, say, a Suzuki taking a huge Whoa. leap. I know Cody Not Ballinger's... I just don't think Swanson has that next-level talent. I don't right. think he has that next-level gear. Cody Bellinger That's has fair. flashed that next-level gear. Obviously, he had 40 home runs in a year. Um, he can steal some bases. He plays elite defensive outfield. But Seiya Suzuki has comparable tools from that perspective. And if he took a huge leap, if this Cubs team makes the playoffs, somebody's taking a huge leap, whether it be Bellinger returning to MVP form of 2019 or Seiya Suzuki taking that next step in his second year overseas here and becoming a truly, quite frankly, dynamic talent. Because he's flashing dynamic tools. If he can turn the power into a little bit more production, push 30 home runs, push 20 steals, play good defense, and just kind of adjust here, I think he's probably got the highest ceiling on that roster as it stands right now. So I think if there is anybody in that roster that takes a huge step forward, I know a lot of people are glorified by thinking that it's going to be the Bellingers of the world, uh, but I really think it could be Suzuki. So before we move on to the pitching staff, is there anything else you want to cover on, on the hitters as a whole from the offensive side of things? Well, I just kind of want to ask you real quick, getting back to Bellingers, like, do, don't you think, though, that don't you like this fit? Like, when he signed with the Cubs, for some reason, I think maybe because of 
the situation they were in, right? He's not. It's not Joey Gallo who goes to the Yankees and everyone expects, you know, oh, well, he's in the Yankees. It's a pressure cooker. Like, he's going to be in Chicago, which is one of the best baseball cities in the country, right? They're kind of in a stage of their organizational development where they're not expected to win a World Series. He's not expected to be an MVP necessarily. He's expected to be a piece in a, in a team that's trying to turn it on. And then he's playing 81 games in Wrigley Field, right? Like, can't you see, like, Bellinger getting to the point where, like, just flip balls to left center? Yeah, I think he can. Um, I, I've never heard of a player that didn't enjoy their time in Chicago. Um so I definitely think there is that part of things uh, where he's definitely going to enjoy the opportunity to play for the Cubs. Um, now, my question is, he has to make s- significant mechanical changes. And I hate to be the mechanical guy because I, I would try to not. I mean, he's as talented as Cody Bellinger is. But there's flaws in his swing that in the game today with the with the movement profiles that guys have that if he's not on perfect time, on perfect plane, he's not right. going to have very much success. So whether you enjoy Chicago or not, you got to be able to get on plane with fastballs at, at your belt. It's not even talking about above the zone for him. He was swinging through balls at his mid, mid-thigh. And then um, expanding off And then that. expanding and then chasing down in the zone. Right. So you know maybe he could become more of a three-true outcome guy with some speed. That could be something if he can learn to lay off those pitches down in the zone. Like I could see that being a safe floor for Cody Bellinger moving forward. Uh, but I think on the whole, like if there are no mechanical adjustments, I don't think that he's just going to f- have his feel good way to a really successful right, the season. Not yeah. So are you not buying it then? Are you not buying the move? I want to see it. I think it's a great fit. I don't think Wrigley's great to hit in for a left-handed hitter. That's fair. Um, I think that. He's going like to him, have to. Like, to me, like a guy like him is like he has left center gap potential. Like when he won the MVP, yeah, no, he does. He was miss hitting balls. He mentioned that. Center. He talked about that too. So he knows that he's trying to recalibrate himself to get to that. Um, so it, it is in there, but I, I just have to see it to believe it. Quite frankly, I think we've been, you know, I mean, it's just so hard to see a guy that young go from what he was to what he is. And that's what concerns me, and that's where I'm kind of like, where yeah. where do we go? Yeah, yeah. it's M right now. I'm, at the end that's of fair. April, we could have a different conversation. There's no doubt about that. But right now, I'm sitting here. I'm more impressed with Seiya Suzuki and what he could bring to the table as I did more research on the Cubs. And, and we might get to this after the pitching, but I just feel like this is a team that plays much better, gets to the deadline, has an opportunity to sell one of these pieces off. Not Swanson, not Suzuki. Yeah. You know, sells an Ian Happ, sells a Bellinger even potentially, right? Yeah. If depending on on what he's doing, gets a couple more pieces that are close to big league ready, um, and then that can make an impact down the road. I mean, to me, that's kind of like best case scenario for them this year: go win eighty games, sell one of these, sell Happ at the deadline, yeah. get get a prospect that you know can either be in your rotation in the next year or two, get a position player that can potentially be an everyday guy in the next year or two. I don't think there's anyone on this roster that you're going to move and get a haul for. Um, but I also think they're closer, and they don't need that right now. You know, they're not the Pirates who, you know, if Andrew McCutcheon turned into an MVP this year, they would love to trade and, yeah. and get a haul for. But um, 
that's kind of just the vibe of this team. Yeah, I think they they have to be focused on the future with a slight ten for the present. Right, that's pretty Correct. much it. And and speaking of the future, one of the things that interests me on the on the pitching side of things is the young guys that they have. They have a couple young guys, obviously, that performed last season between Justin Steele, who did a really good job last season at missing barrels. He was 95th percentile in barrel percentage and 82nd percentile in hard hit percentage and 80th percentile in average exit velocity. And he also struck out more than a batter per inning. Keegan Thompson has uh, pretty good stuff uh, with some elite moving pitches, but his peripherals aren't great. Batted ball profile was okay. And then Hayden Wesnecki, he showed some plus stuff with a 2.18 ERA in 33 innings with 33 strikeouts. He's got really good sync on his fastball. He flashes a cutter and a sweeper breaking ball um, that shows some pretty good stuff. So obviously, if we think this team has some potential in the future, one of those young guys is going to have to become a mainstay in their in their rotation. And when you look at these three guys specifically, which one do you think probably has the most potential to make an impact this year and beyond? I think it's Justin Steele, right? Like, to me, I think I just like – I mean, we haven't seen enough of Wesnecki, obviously. I mean, he's flashed really good stuff, and, and but you're talking about such a small sample size. My issue with both Steele and Thompson last year was just they didn't throw enough strikes when they needed to, right? And if you're going to pitch – like, if you're going to be a mainstay at the top of rotation in the big leagues, like, what's the common denominator when you look at a lot of those guys? What does Sandy Alcantara do? What does Corbin Burns do? I mean – Corbin Burns lives in the strike zone, right? Yeah. And not only does he live in the strike zone, he lives in the strike zone with quality strikes. Mm-hmm. And far too often, I felt like with Steele and Thompson, like, you know, when you would catch their starts and you would watch their outings, it was they they were behind in counts and when they were in the zone sometimes, it wasn't quality enough. And, you know, part of growing and, be, you know, we have to be patient with these guys. Um, but I just like Steele, right? The swing and miss stuff is real. And if he can harness it and it can be swing and miss in the zone, and you and I talk about that all the time, right? When you're generating swings and misses in the zone, especially at the big league level, like that's when you see guys take the next yeah. step. So if he can do that, because to me the stuff is there. And like you said, the peripherals are there, right? Like when your hard hit percentage is up there and you're missing barrels at the radius and you're striking out over a guy in inning, like that's the stuff, right? When, when you and I talk about it, when you – Anyone can do this. You pull up the baseball savant page. You look at those numbers and you see that and you go, oh, there's something here with this guy. But you you can't give up free bases. And then when you are in the zone, you know, every other start, it's not quality. That's when you can get into trouble. Yeah. And and I'm definitely interested in Wisnecki just because of the stuff that he has, you know, a power sinker that that can eat with a cutter and a sweeper that are both above average. Those are like the three new trendy pitches. Exactly. So he's definitely flashing some good stuff. But I got to agree with you on the fact that Justin steals the guy. You look at the the really quite frankly the team we're going to talk about next in the milwaukee brewers and they do a really good job at identifying pitchers that do two things really well and it's miss barrels and miss bats um so when guys do hit it it's soft and when guys swing they don't hit it very often and they've literally built a bullpen and a rotation based around that fact they don't get hit much for home runs and they don't get many balls put in play and they've been able to be a smaller market team that's had a lot of success justin Steele showed some of that potential um it's kind of weird because the whiff percentage is what it is so whether that's getting a lot of guys out looking i don't know what that 
is, but that still means your stuff's pretty good and it's moving pretty good. So, you know, when you see hard hit percentages that are the way they are, um, you know, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So um, speaking of a couple other guys and their pitching staff, that really intrigued me. Obviously, Marcus Stroman, I thought, surprisingly had a better year um, last year than people gave him credit for. Sneaky, really good year. Um, I mean, I'm not... I wouldn't pay Marcus Sturman to be in my rotation. I would take him if he was there. That's probably the <laughs> nicest way to put it. Um, and I'm sure if, if our if our podcast was big enough, I'm sure I'd end up on his Twitter page no right there. Doubt. You know, like height, height, height doesn't, doesn't measure, measure heart. Um, yeah, well, I mean, all you I, really do, you throw strikes and you miss barrels, but uh, it's about video. I probably would. I that's probably awesome. would. Well, I mean, I'll just be on a Chicago Cubs we, hype video because I'm not sold on Jamison Tyon either. So we'll we'll get that Marcus. We'll get that over to you, um, and we'll make sure you get a link so that you can post it in a hype video for your season and and maybe pin it on your locker. You know, any publicity is good publicity <laughs> for the for the backside ground balls <laughs> podcast. But when we look at these guys in Jamison Tyon and Marcus Stroman, obviously Tyon had a really good year with the Yankees and then kind of faded quick. You know, he pitched to a 3.91 in a tough AL East with a 4.2 expected ERA. His whiff percentages were not great at 26th percentile, but he threw a ton of strikes. And Marcus Stroman throws a ton of strikes. And, you know, Jamison Tyon has a little bit more of a homer-happy side of him, uh, but Marcus Stroman does a good job of missing bat- bats or sorry, not missing bats, missing barrels and getting soft contact. So when you look at these guys, obviously, you know, the Cubs have some financial commitment to the two of these guys. You know, what are kind of your expectations for for those two kind of really at the top of this pitching staff? I just think they're – they're both volatile because of the fact that there is no insurance with the swing and miss, right? When you have the high strikeout, high swing and miss guys, a lot of times – you can kind of bank on the consistency year to year. You know what you're getting with both of these guys. You don't know from year to year. And like you said, Stroman's peripheral numbers, his expected ERA and everything was better in 2022 than anyone even noticed. And again, he was pitching for a bad Cubs team instead of in a New York market, so no one really paid attention. Whereas Tyon, everything is, you know, the end of the world anytime you have a bad start when you have the pinstripes. And so I think the thing for me with Tyon is just like – it's been injuries, right? And, like, how often do we sing this song with pitchers? But, like, if Jamison Tyon could have stayed healthy, like, you think about the prospect he was and the flashes he had had and then just all the unfortunate health issues that Tyon's had um, really kind of stinks Yeah, because he could have been a lot better, and that's kind of derailed him. But he's rebounded, and I yeah. think both of these guys, if you were a team that was contending and you had these guys into the middle back end of your rotation, both of them, you would be thrilled. Right, because they're better than just a strike thrower. Yeah. Right. They're not just your your run of the mill guy who's going to be in the zone and eat innings. Right. They're better. They're they're a tier above that. So if they were mid to back rotation, if they were in the three, four, or five slots in rotation, you'd be really excited if you had guys in slot in front of them. But they're going to be two of their most important arms. Now, in eating innings for this club is going to be huge, especially when you're banking on a lot of young starting pitching. What's their inning limit going to be? You know, you have question marks in your bullpen. So them being able to get you 18 to 21 outs and be veterans is going to be really important and valuable. But, again, like when you look at why don't you think the Cubs can take the next step, it's because these guys are probably – I mean, Stroman's starting opening day. Right, and Tyon's probably going to pitch soon thereafter. Yeah, and it's second, like, probably. Right, right. And, like, so when you're looking at it that way, it's like, well, there's your reasoning right there. Right? Like, when, like, sure, there might be some pieces on the offensive side, but, like, they don't have enough arms. And 
they're not in that position yet to to have top tier ace guys. Now again, you never know. One of these young guys has a Spencer Strider type year. And next thing you know, it puts them in a little bit of a different position and you're looking at that rotation differently. But when you go into a season and you project like we're doing right now, which can be a fool's errand, but when you do it and those are your two guys at the front of the rotation, it kind of makes it hard to believe, at least for me. I agree. And back to your point on Tyon, I think both things can be true that, um, you know, you give credit to a guy who's reinvented himself, but you probably shouldn't give him too much credit because he's not a top of the line rotation starter. I think both things can be true and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And then as for the Cubs on the whole, I think what worries me the most about this organization is even on the farm, they kind of have no direction, Um, you know, which we don't need to get into their talk about their prospects because it's not worth our our time right now because they're a team that is quite frankly trying to compete um but the direction they're heading there is what concerns me the most they don't have any bona fide guys kicking down the door right now on either side of the ball which is worrisome because that's a that's a core that is aging and that is a even their young guys aren't bona fide superstars. They don't have they no, need. yeah, they don't have no Corbin Carroll's coming through the door. You would feel so much different about this team, even for this year, if they had guys that are getting getting ready to start in AAA, right? That could, yeah, like you you'd feel if they look if they had the Diamondbacks farm system, I'd be fired up about this team. hundred percent fired up about this team, but they don't, and who knows which direction they go. Um, but we'll, we will see. I mean, come come June, July, when the trade deadline comes around, we're going to have a much better picture on, on what this team is. So another team in the NL Central that obviously carries a lot of storylines. So, Dan, we're just going to kick this off with this. Does management move Corbin Burns yes. at the deadline? Yeah, I think what, what you saw in arbitration and you saw the reaction of Corbin Burns afterwards and kind of the disappointment that that you know he voiced his frustration a little bit. I do, and I, I don't – I mean, it's a small market team that, that plays the small market game, right? It's not that far off from what Tampa Bay does, right? Like what how Milwaukee operates is not far off. Now, they've done a great job of, like you've said, evaluating um, talent, especially on the pitching side of things and getting guys in there and having – you know, drafting and developing good pitching. But, I mean, I don't see a world where Corbin Burns stays with Milwaukee. And I don't. I think Milwaukee's smart enough. Now, the difference being that if 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 they're in first place, which they very well could be, because if this if things go right, break right for this roster, then they, they have a shot to win the division. Then you hold on to them through the end of the season. But yeah. if they're in a similar spot to last year um, and a couple of the other arms, because they have some really good starting pitching depth too, just outside mm-hmm. of their, their top five. Like if if they're kind of knocking on the door the sixth wow you know the sixth spot or you know the whatever it is the third wild card they uh they could move him and if they're out of it they're definitely going to move him right if i think so there's another team if if, say the giants or whatever are competing with the three teams in the 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 west and the three teams in the east for a wild card then i don't see why the brewers wouldn't just ship him off now here's my question though because last year they were in a position to make the playoffs they trade hater because last year, at the start of last year, the thought was kind of, well, I'm not going to, you know, we're, 
we're at such a disadvantage if we get in as a last wild card. It's not worth it. But you saw the Phillies go to game six in the World Series from that position. Do you think that changes some teams? No. Okay. Uh, Brewers, no. Because Other of, teams, because yes. Of the financial restrictions. Other teams, yes. I think yeah. there are some teams that would do it. I jumped the gun on that question, but I thought you were going to ask specifically, does that change the way the Brewers operate? No. Not one bit. Not one bit. They, don't, they do not care one bit about that. Even in a situation that. like Corbin Burns? I mean, maybe. If they, if, you know, because you would expect him to pitch you into the playoffs at that point, right? Like, yeah, but the if the guy you roll out there in that first game of that, se- that you know, three-game set shoot, in the wild card series. I mean, if – you know, let's just say, they're, let's, uh, say they're, just, let's say they're two games up. I'm just holding gonna, on to the last wild card yeah. spot at the deadline. I'm just going to rattle this off. I'm not saying I would make this trade. I'm not saying it would happen. I'm not saying anything. But if Steve Cohen forces the the management of the Mets, Billy Epler's hand, and says, "Get rid of Alvarez and go get Corbin Burns," I want to win a World Series. I don't think the Brewers are turning that down. Even if the Brewers are two and a half games up in the last wild card spot at the deadline, Carlos talked about it when we talked about the Soto situation. Their goal is to be a consistent right. it's, winner. It's, it's, it's not, not to year. win one year. They do not right. care about winning one year. Right. Um, so I do think if if the Yankees were like Volpe's on the table, which again I don't think they would, but you know, just saying in hypothetical land, if they had a one for one deal that they couldn't turn down, I I would. I would bet that even if they're two and a half games up in the division, they make the move. I mean, we saw it with Hater. I know bullpen arms are replaceable, um, a lot more replaceable right, so than than starters. But they have good. Like if Aaron Ashby takes a step right, up, exactly. which yeah, let's let's of, talk right? let's like, talk about their pitching staff then before we we get too in deep into this. And and I, we'll kick it off with Aaron Ashby. Obviously, we know the other guys. We know Corbin Burns. You know he's winning Cy Youngs. He's competing at a Cy Young level. We know Brandon Woodruff. He had a sneak also. We talked about Stroman having a sneaky good year. Um, Woodruff had a really good year last year, and I, I like he always has a he good always year. has a He's good the year. Most but untalked about starting pitcher in stud, and like he could be he could be a lot of teams' ace. Yeah, and ace. then you look at Freddie Peralta, and then Freddie Peralta's Same peripherals are just elite of the elite, like looking like a top of the line starter. And so let's let's start with Aaron Ashby. You know, he showed great stuff. He had a 75th percentile whiff percentage, 72nd percentile K percentage. He struggled a little bit with command, 70, 17th percentile walk percentage. Um, he limits hard contact. That's one thing this the Brewers do, and we're going to talk about it on the hitting side. On both sides of the ball, they identify two things for the players they want to acquire if you check both those boxes they want you they want you to miss bats and they want you to limit hard contact so Aaron Ashby what does he do he misses bats and he limits hard contact he has a little bit of a struggle with the strike zone but tell me Dan when you have a guy that all you have to do is rein it in and get the confidence to throw it over the middle of the plate I mean that's the that's the I mean there's obviously extreme cases, but that's, you know, a guy like Ashby, that's what you want. Like, if yeah. it's, it's a lot easier to kind of get those guys to rein it in and get the confidence to throw it over the plate, and that can click. I mean, that can click in an offseason. That can click in one start in the middle of May in Cincinnati, right? And next thing you know, like, he's off and running, and, and I'm so high on him, and I have been for, like, two years now because I just think that his stuff is really good. And when you see it and you and you watch him pitch and, and – um, you realize you, you sit there and you go, Who is this? Yeah, right. Good. Like, I remember the first couple of times I watched it, I was like, Who is this? And and why have I not really, why is he not talked about? And it's because you see, like, there's just been some inconsistencies there. But I think, again, I think it takes 
you know, we get so enamored with the aces and everyone that's Especially as prospects. Right. And, like, the expectation is this guy's going to come up and he's going to be DeGrom, he's going to be Scherzer, he's going to be Kershaw, he's going to be yep. – And then guys do it, right? Like, Walker Bueller. Oh, 100%. And then Walker Bueller comes up and is like, yeah, this is how it should yeah. look, right? Like, this is it. It's so yeah. easy. But, like, pitching – patience with pitchers, man. Like, because things are so year-to-year mm-hmm. um, and because guys can figure it out and, and – for me, pitching like maturity really helps in pitching. Yeah, I mean maturity helps in this game overall because you're dealing with so many highs and lows. But like as a pitcher, like figuring out how to get big league hitters out and understanding things you can do takes a little bit of time. Um, and I think Aaron Ashby's knocking on the door. I think he is too. And and that brings me to the the other side of the the ball where it's like, okay, you get Aaron Ashby to to kick that door out. His command's been better this spring. He's obviously shown elite stuff. And then you factor in the fact that Freddie Peralta just pitches to what he did last year over the course of 160 innings. Obviously, you can't have him hurt. The best ability is availability. But you're talking about a guy who's 78th percentile in whiff percentage, 75th percentile in K percentage, 97th percentile in barrel percentage. So a guy who misses bats and doesn't get hit hard tell me if you've heard that before with the brewers his walks are worrisome he has 35th percentile and walk percentage but the stuff's beyond elite he had a 2.7 expected era which was almost a full run behind his actual era of 3.58 if you get him to be quite frankly an ace like this is a guy that i don't think we're talking about as a two or three or a mid rotation arm he is an ace over 160 to 180 innings and you get brandon woodruff to just be brandon woodruff and then aaron ashby takes that step forward you're telling me that the brewers aren't going to be entertaining corbin burns offers at the deadline no matter what they look like because that's a team that can compete in the playoffs with or without corbin burns no doubt i just think that for me i think the concern then become i mean i i know you you're higher on it but i don't trust their offense and I haven't trusted their offense. And I, I just don't know if you're ever going to get a team that scores enough, right? And and what wins in the playoffs? Home runs. Willie Adamas is your best home run hitter on that roster, right? I mean, if you, I, and, and that's just basing it off of what Christian Yelich has, has been the past couple of years. If Yelich regains form, that changes things a little bit. But it's been a long time. 2017 when he won an MVP was a long time ago. Feels like a long time ago. Right? Like, I mean, you're talking about six years ago, and and he's battled injuries and other things, but, like, that's where it worries me a little bit. So um, that's why I would would just find it hard to trade him. But they're not going to – I think I would find it hard not to extend him. (laughs) So, and I would have found it hard not to give him the money he wanted in arbitration. And that's because I don't deal with the – the limitations that of their finances, mm-hmm. which management has to do. So if they were to trade him at the deadline, I wouldn't be shocked. No. There's going to be a ton of buzz, and I think that's going to be a name that you're going to hear starting in, like, June when we get into that area is could Corbin Burns be moving? And I think, you know, teams like the Mets and the Yankees, and you're going to hear all those names and whether or and not he big is, prospects are going to be thrown around right, for that. Right, right. Right, and I think well, Anthony Volpe will be the everyday shortstop, so it won't be him. Um, no, we'll, we're, not, we're not previewing the AL East yet. <laughs> um, but I mean, I just think that I, I think it's a possibility. I think it's going to come down to deadline day, to that day, four o'clock, when they decide whether or not to do it, and they'd have to, you know, they'd have to like what they were getting back, obviously. And, and you know, I think the team making the move for him would either have to be win the World Series now or 
confident that they could work out an extension. Um, but yeah, no, the pitching is so exciting for Milwaukee, and it has been. Yeah. And that's what's going to keep them in the race. If those guys stay healthy, because even Eric Lauer, who like his, he's he's outperformed his numbers a little bit, but he's one of those guys who I think is never going to make sense. He's okay as a five. He is. He's good as like that's the thing. Like he's good as a five. Like I think when you watch him pitch and you see the success, again, I think sometimes we over. You know, we set expectations yeah. too high for what a good five starter we, is. We Make want, 33 starts yeah. and don't have a seven ERA. And, like, you have a decent fifth starter. We want everything to be a fantasy baseball roster. Correct. Where you can just go stash elite on Right. Like, like, if, you, if you're telling me that my fifth starter makes all 33 starts. Yeah, you're happy. And he's he's at least keeping us in the game and he's saving my bullpen once in a while. And, and he can have a, a seven-inning, eight-inning one or two run performance like Eric Eric Lauer has done a handful of times over the past two years, you're like, yeah, sign me up. And that's what yeah. makes the Brewers exciting is their their pitching because the bullpen's good too. Good enough to trade Josh Hader and not miss a beat because you just slide Devin Williams to the ninth and you still got guys in front of him who can get outs. Yeah. I think two things from there. Aaron Ashby is at least my breakout candidate of the year. Um, just looking at his baseball savant page, the fact that he's – underperformed his expected ERA in back-to-back years, and it's really not been close. That tells you something. Um, that screams like a huge step forward. Baseball is a game of finding the middle, and I think he's going to find the middle. But quickly, let's let's get into the um, the offense, because tell me if you've heard this before. We're talking about the NL Central, and we forgot about the St. Louis Cardinals, it feels like, because we haven't talked about them yet. Um, and they're just the forgotten team. But I do want to cover the Brewers' offense for a little bit, um, just because, again, when you're working at a market inefficiency, that I always find these teams, I know I get a lot of flack because it, it seems like I would want to run run one of these teams this way. Um, but it's always so much more interesting because there has to be creativity to the things they do. And as I kind of dove in on the Brewers roster and what they did well and what they prioritized, you started to see a couple themes, just like on the mound. I mentioned a couple things that they do well. Well, in the box, there's a couple things they do well and it's hit baseballs hard and it's get walks and i think that there is definitely something to be said for that i mean even christian yelich is still flashing 99th percentile max exit velo with 93rd percentile walk percentage and 90th percentile and hard hit rate it's the barrel percentage that's down he's not elevating baseballs he averaged 94 miles per hour of exit velocity in 2020 it was down to 91.5 which is still really good Good, is still well above average but it's not 94 which is just a barrel machine and then you see guys like rowdy telez what does he do well draws walks and hits the ball hard jesse winker what does he do well draws walks and hits the ball hard keston hero what's he do well draws walks and hits the ball hard willie adamas they got him from the rays when the rays were kicking down the door to get uh wander franco to debut and willie adamas has been the better player over the last two years what does he do well Draws walks and hits the ball hard. William Contreras, get take a guess. If anybody could figure out what he does well and what he did really Draws well. Walks and hits the ball hard. Exactly. And there's something to be said to building an offense with a niche. No, are they going to lead the league in average? No. Are they going to have anybody compete for a batting title? Unless Christian Yelich kicks it. it back. No, I doubt it. But do they have a lot of guys that can bring value in a lot of different situations that might strike out a little bit, but they'll get you that three-run home run when you need it? Yeah, I just think that 
they've done such a good job for a small market team. You know, they've done what the Rays do. They've done what um, everybody lauds the Astros for. Now, the Astros do it at a different level and a little bit more financial flexibility. But if you really look at the similarity, right, the Brewers are kind of the NL Rays. Um, they're the only ones who have yeah. gotten close to it. They identify pitching talent. They're really good at it. And then look at the guys on the offensive side of the ball. They have. They know what they want. They go acquire guys who are good at what they 100%. want them to do, and they take flyers, right? It was yeah. Hunter Renfro, right? It was like, let's take a flyer <laughs> Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Renfro. Do good? Right, exactly. Gets the ball hard and draws walks. tell us who they were successful with it, right? And, I mean, and, and then you, you look at the guys that they've got this year. Can Jesse Winker have a bounce back? I mean, Milwaukee is more likely to do it than, you know. Seattle, I mean, yep, he's, back being in a the, guy. he's back in that central time zone where yep. he was so good in Cincinnati and, like, Oh man, that's a really good flyer to take when you look at it. You're like, yeah. that's a good move by this team for a team that can't go out there and sign Trey Turner, who's not ever going to go out there and sign Trey Turner. The closest thing they're ever going to get to it is Yelich, who at the time was underrated and kind of exploded once he got some more. Yeah, like those are the perfect fits for an organization like this. For me, it's looking at it. There's too many question marks. And, you know, to me, I still feel like they're going to be, you know, if I'm a Brewers fan, but by the time the All-Star break rolls around, I'm going to be banging on the table to get Jackson Churio to the big leagues, right? Because, like, that's the closest thing you've had in a, in a long time to the real deal. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of feels like the, you can just see a situation where one or two of these guys don't pan out, one or two of them get hurt, and they're like, can we just get Jackson Churio to the big leagues to maybe, you know, create some magic? Yeah, I'm in on this roster. I'll tell you that. Um, I think they're one or two injuries away from just not being talented enough, quite frankly. And that's the problem with a lot of small market teams. Uh, But I think on the collective, one through nine, they're going to have guys that get on base at a high clip. They're going to hit enough home runs. They're going to hit enough balls hard. And, you know, if they have a couple guys, I mean, we talked about this last year. Keston here is kind of the straw that stirs the drink. If he can become a guy, that lineup become goes from wait, good to great. No, I know. I get it. And and that's my thing is as I just look at this roster, it's like, yeah, sure, Christian Yelich could be an MVP. Willie Adamas just does what he does. But maybe we don't even need Keston here this year because William Contreras just yeah, he was bonkers last year, and he struck out a ton. But he went well, he's off. Young. Like the thing, he's young. the thing with William Contreras, right? And why you really are excited about them taking that flyer and making that? Which is, I don't even want to talk about how they acquired him <laughs> because it makes no sense that he ended up on that roster. Yeah. But for me, it's just like I, that's a young player who, if he takes steps forward and continues to kind of, you know, an upward trajectory, then yeah, you have a really good player who can play a premium position. Yeah. And it seems like Garrett Mitchell is going to break camp with the team, who's obviously a little bit of a different talent uh, compared to – he's actually a lot like Yelich when he debuted. A lot of hard contact, more on the ground, just needs to learn how to use his athleticism in the box and elevate the baseball. You know, off air, actually, I believe we talked about it uh, with Carlos, was just – the change in his swing um, and how it hasn't yeah. come. I believe it was all fair, um, so it wasn't recorded, but just how hard that's been to come by for Garrett Mitchell. Um, so it's obviously something to keep track of is who knows. Christian Yelich developed at the major league level. Maybe being being in the cage every day with Christian Yelich might be what Garrett Mitchell needs. I mean, that's I think that's a pretty good comparison for two guys that are um, pretty comparable in terms of prospect status. So 
again, I already joked about this, but the St. Louis Cardinals continually be being the forgotten team in the NL Central. They're coming off of NL Central Championship, where they ended up losing in two games to the eventual National League champion Phillies. So, Dan, can the Cardinals' voodoo magic outperform projections again? I think so. I mean, I just think that this is a team and this is a culture, and they always have enough pieces, right? And every year you're looking at it, whether it's 17 in a row to to backdoor themselves into the playoffs two years ago, whether it's taking advantage of a down year in the rest of the division and some Milwaukee injuries to kind of – get hot in the summer but it always feels like the cardinals are eh, and we project that they're going to be okay and they're going to be good and they have a chance to compete and then may rolls around and they're 500 and then you check back in at the end of july and they've won 20 of 26 yeah and like all oh, the card the cardinals have a three and a half game lead in the, in the nl central <laughs> again and what happened but i mean to me it's a little bit different because i feel like there's more talent on this roster than the, the milwaukee roster at least Big talent, right? Like, you have two MVPs. Well, Arenado hasn't won one yet, and he could be. You have two MVP candidates. Caliber players. Right, you have two MVP caliber players in the middle of that lineup. And for me, um, if we want to start with the offense, it's like, who's going to pull the weight outside of those two, right? Is it going to be Wilson Contreras, right? Mm. It could be because you look at Wilson Contreras, and it's just such an interesting profile of a player. Yeah. and I think a lot of it is just, like, really athletic, right? So it's, like, it's just a guy in the, with a bat in his hand that's super athletic um, who who doesn't really love to uh, walk. And, you know, he's a free swinger. He's as free swinger as free swinger gets. And um, he came up through the Cubs system with Javier Baez, who's the biggest free swinger in the league. And sometimes you look at Contreras and it feels pretty similar, right? An athletic guy who's a free swinger who doesn't yeah. want to walk. And that's why his average exit velocity isn't ever going to blow you away, right? He's not going to consistently hit the ball hard because he's going to be swinging at stuff that bounces and he's going to tap it back <laughs> to the pitcher instead of taking a 3-2 slider in the dirt. Um, is it going to be Juan Yepes who showed flashes for a little bit as a rookie last year that they re- they really like him? Or is it going to be one of the big three young guys, right? Is it going to be Gorman, Carlson, or Walker? You know, Walker kind of burst onto the scene a little bit in, in yeah. uh, Florida this spring. And uh, he's an exciting kind of idea if you're a Cardinals fan of like, let's, you know, they talk about the Brewers banging on the table for Churio to come up. If Walker doesn't break camp, um, they're going to be like, let's let's go, let's go, especially if their offense struggles early. And some of those guys like Lars Newbar or Tyler O'Neill don't do things. But to me, the biggest question is who – is going to be the guy that um, kind of chips in and can help out Goldschmidt and Arenado because it can't just be those two, right? You have to have other pieces. Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, the guy that I think is the most likely to do it is a guy you kind of scanned over at the end there, and it's Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. I think in terms of talent, I mean, we saw it in 2021. He was playing at an MVP caliber. He was their best player in 2021. He like when they went on that run. He it was unbelievable <laughs> what he did at the end of the year. And that was their MVP candidate. I don't know exactly where he finished in the MVP voting, but I would be very shocked if it was beyond 10. I think he pushed all the way up into the top 10 in the MVP voting. And that was with Goldschmidt and Arenado right like that was they had those guys on that roster and he was the guy down the stretch and he struggled with injuries last year but i think in terms of we talked about suzuki being that top talent with the cubs i think that's the guy that you hang your hat on if like if we get tyler o'neill to be what he can be we can be great 
right? And I think that's the other thing. When you look at the Juan Yepes, they have a unique skill set. When you look at Wilson Contreras, Wilson Contreras is what he is. The young guys, you really can't expect. Carlson's a high floor guy anyway. Right. Gorman's had a ton of juice. Uh, he could really impact. He has a little bit of the higher ceiling. And, you know, we think we know what Walker is, but we've said this about prospects time and time yeah. again, and they get in the pros, and then they aren't what they we're expected to be prospects always have that more value with that number next to their name than they do in the lineup it's every incredible. day. Um, at least in the perception of the public, not actually have right. more value. Um, but I think Tyler O'Neill is that guy. And obviously if Jordan Walker is, is the prospect that he's capable of being, now you're talking, now about, you're talking about a really, really good team. Yeah. Um, really good who, lineup. Who do a lot of things, right? Who's going to play defense too. Like yeah. that's a team that's going to play defense. It's a team that's going to be athletic. That's a team that's going to be deep. Um, if Jordan Walker comes up and is is the dude, that's you know that changes the game for the Cardinals. Completely. I kind of like Nolan Gorman to be the guy. So to do be I. Be honest yeah. with you, I just think like you said, the juice is real. He got almost a full year last year under his belt in the big leagues. He now understand you know the adage that I sometimes hate when you hear every color commentator talk about. Well, you got to learn the adjustments they're making and make the adjustments to the adjustments, right? But it's kind of true. It's very. It true. just gets beaten to death. Yeah. But it's like it's like saying a good piece of hitting when a guy hits a right, ground like, ball. Yeah, <laughs> Heaven forbid. Um, but, like, you know, I just think that it's it, – it, when you start to understand and gather the information of how people are trying yeah. to get you out, it just bec- – you become comfortable with it. It's just gaining experience, right? That's all that means. Yeah. And I think him gaining the experience that he did last year, like, this is a guy that I was in love with when he was a prospect. This is a guy that I was super excited to see come up. And, really, he came up in, like, the first week. It was it – was, It was really good. It was really good, right? It was exciting. It was like, yeah, this guy's a real deal. And then, you know, he kind of regressed to the mean, which, again, as a rookie – playing every day that can happen you're seeing, like there's no let up when you, you know every arm that you're facing is obviously the best in the world so it's um outside of roki sasaki um but like so i just think that for me he's the guy that can really um be good and and you know carlson again i think he's the high floor guy he's a cardinal like dylan yeah. carlson was born to be like when you watch him play center field too like he's gonna mm-hmm. win a gold glove in center yeah you got a gold glover at third you got tommy emin who's a great middle infielder you know Gorman's still some play bases second too. base right like this team my bigger concern is outside of the lineup let's put it that way. my bigger concern is the yeah. rotation Let, yeah let's get into that and let's get into the rotation Quite frankly, let's just put it out there. Can they outperform their expected stats? Jordan Montgomery, Adam Wainwright, and Miles Mikolos all had a below average whiff percentages last year and below average barrel percentages, right? If you're going to do one of those well, you have a chance. <laughs> if you do neither of those well, I don't know what we but have here. Leave it up to the Cardinals to be able to have those three guys doing yeah. none of them well and still be successful. Still, still win a really division. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, yeah, so that that's the question, and and obviously we don't have Yachty putting down the fingers anymore. What? That's a. I, is that an underrated thing that that we're not really might, talking about? It might about? be. It yeah. might be. I mean, it's tough to know, and I like Mikolas the best of the three of them. I mean, Wayno's just Wayno's getting to. I, I mean, out of the three, who would you pick? I was just getting ready to sit here, and I guess maybe we'll be on bulletin more material in St. Louis if our podcast was big enough. But I think this rotation stinks. Me too. But who do you like out of the three of them? 
Like, take one. I, I mean, Wainwright's too old. I don't think, like, yeah. the, I'm sorry. Like, there's a reason Jordan Montgomery didn't stick in the rotation. Like, there's a reason they kept, he was a swing guy. I know. Because Jordan Montgomery is a swing guy, right? Like, truly, Jordan Montgomery is a five swing. If Jordan and Montgomery was traded from the Texas Rangers to the St. Louis Cardinals, nobody would have talked about No one about was. Him last year. Like, you know, Yankees fans freaked out when. When uh, Montgomery got to the Cardinals and he had like four really good starts, but then what happened the rest of the way? People made adjustments. Right. Like, yes, he had made adjustments and then people understood what he was doing and his stuff just isn't that good. And I'm sorry, Adam Wainwright is going to throw a ton of strikes and that's great and all, but trusting Adam Wainwright to go out there and one, make 33 starts this year, he's already on the IL, so he's going to miss the first couple of starts, right? He got hurt uh, lifting at the World Baseball Classic. Oh boy, there's gonna be people who are like, "See, why, why are pitchers lifting in season? Right? That's just so wrong." We don't, we don't have <laughs> enough time for that. <laughs> but anyway, I, I mean, I just think that um, of the three, Miklas is the guy, and for some reason, he always outperforms his his he does. his expected stats and his advanced stuff, and then. The biggest guy is Jack Flaherty because Jack Flaherty is a really good pitcher. He is a really good Jack pitcher. Jack Flaherty is a guy who you can give the ball to 33 times and feel confident that you're, you're, you have a, a better chance of winning than losing. Jack Flaherty has above-average stuff. Jack Flaherty has borderline number one pitcher stuff. But he can only do it if he's pitching. Yeah, and post-injuries, what is he going to look Correct. like? Correct. I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have much to add on this pitching rota- rotation other than the fact that I'm a lot more sold on the Brewers than I am the Cardinals. Um, we're not really going to get into like standing projections or anything. We'll probably do some short clips for that. Um, but uh, the Cardinals do what the Cardinals do, and that's fine. I, I will continue as long as we record this podcast to look like the idiot if they continue to come in first or second place. They're going but, to. But I, I just I don't believe in this rotation. I think it's a ticking time bomb. They don't have any reinforcements coming through the door. Um, obviously, they do a really good job of identifying and developing talent. I do trust the bullpen, so if they can get the ball to them with a lead, I think they have some real, guys with some really good stuff in the bullpen. But you know, I'm just not quite frankly sold on on that rotation very much. Jack Flaherty can be great, but the rest I just don't think are that good. Well, and I just think I mean. Cardinals have the advantage of playing in this division. They're going to be a top two team. They have a top yeah. two roster for this division. It's just whether or not the Brewers are. That's going, true. You know what I mean? Like the Cardinals are They'll going to either in. win the division or come in second. And I don't think any of the other three teams are going to be pushed. And we can talk about the last two if, if you really. Want. Yeah, I mean, I, I I forgot that the Cubs don't have that impressive of a roster either, and that's probably why we're doing the NL Central first. But knowing us, we can still talk. To, to nauseam, ad nauseum about anybody. But let's get into the other two teams a little bit quicker. And, and obviously some points we want to cover is, you know, with the Pittsburgh Pirates is, do we start to see glimmers of the youth movement, right? You know, between guys on the mound like Mitch Keller and Rosny Contreras, who both show really, really, really good stuff at times um, between their movement profiles and occasionally their whiff percentages. I mean, Mitch Keller has never shown since his rookie year anything above a 20 percent whiff percentage which isn't very good um Contreras shows elite stuff elite vertical movement on his four seamer he averages 95.6 on the heater um elite moving curveball that has you know good vertical break elite slider that has good vertical break but the pirates have a tendency to get in their own way um you know whether and I think that's a big question that I have for you is like 
is it the organization's problem because you see these guys with good stuff that can't perform, or is it a talent acquisition problem? It's a little bit of both. It's always going to be a little bit of both. I mean, let me lay it out for you. This is If you're a Pirates fan and you're listening to this, um, hello to the 23 of you that still exist. Um, I think that here's how your season goes. When the season starts, enjoy that baseball's back. Be excited to see the Andrew McCutcheon reunion tour. Right, like that's that's it. Like this is he's back. He's a legend. This is probably I would I'm not, imagine. I'm not one for sob stories. So for those that didn't hear, I went ugh when I. When that's he fine. Said. That's fine. But hey, man, he gave you a lot of great memories. He did. He, he got did. them back into the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, yeah. He was an MVP there. Like enjoy that. It's that's getting gonna, late, so I'm a little bit of ornery there. <laughs> that's like a two week thing. Okay, so you enjoy the first two weeks of the season. You enjoy watching McCutcheon be back in those colors. You enjoy watching O'Neill Cruz hit the ball really far, and that's it. Like that. That's that's the that's the that's about all you got to look for. Yeah, to. tune into some games in Altoona. Right. That's about yeah, that, it. I mean, that's the thing. You have to hope that these young guys start to right. Like you got to hope that Key Brian Hayes can take a step. You got to hope that like okay, this Cruz guy that came up and looked right that. Hayes came up and like I thought he was great. A really, really, and then last year it was just like I don't understand this guy. And again, the worrisome thing is is like that's a consistent theme that we've seen in Pittsburgh, right? And like I I know Pirates fans love Brian Reynolds, but I can't imagine Brian Reynolds is going to be there past July. If he is, that's crazy. He's requested a trade. I don't love Brian Reynolds, the player. I know I maybe don't give him enough credit. Yeah, I don't. But like I'm not a huge Brian Reynolds fan. I I just like this. They're bad. And, no, I don't buy into any of their pitchers because, yes, those guys have some really good traits about them, but you can find good traits about just about anybody in the big leagues. Yeah. Like, if you watch a Ronzi Contreras start or Mitch Keller, if you watch their starts, like, what are they doing? They're doing what we talked about earlier. They're not throwing quality strikes. They're in the zone. That's why they're going to get hit. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you have a really good fastball that has elite vertical break but if you put it down the middle and it's 95 even though it has elite vertical break it's gonna get hit far because those guys are used to christian javier painting with an elite vertical break fastball that gets a ton of swing and misses and now yours is down the middle and also you've just put two guys on and now you're down three nothing in the first yeah and probably because of the defense behind you there's been an air like travis swaggerty couldn't track that fly ball for you like I, you know what i mean so it's just tough i don't buy into the pitching staff um and typically, Definitely teams are tanking. The, the, <laughs> the bullpens are bad. It's going to be another long year. Hope Lonnie White uh, choosing baseball was a good move. Yeah. That's what you got to hope. Former Penn State football commit for anybody wondering. And hope Nick Gonzalez goes back to being the guy that had everybody yeah. so excited that well, draft year. Yeah, let's. I, I do want to cover, you know, obviously, Cabrian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz. I, I just want to see them fulfill their potential. Um, quite frankly. And Brian Reynolds, I, I did not give enough credit. Um, I know all off season it was, oh, are the Yankees going to trade for him, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, why would they trade for Brian Reynolds? Well, Brian Reynolds has had two really good years the last two years. I, I, I personally did not know that because he plays in Pittsburgh. I obviously knew that he was playing well, um, but <laughs> You know, 35 doubles and 24 home runs with a 302 average and a 522 slug with a 912 OPS is pretty darn good. So, obviously, you're going to need those guys to have some potential. And, you know, let's do, 
I do want to talk a little bit about some prospects. Obviously, they've been stashing a ton of talent. That's what happens when you when you draft at the top of the draft on a year to year basis. Um, but you know, they did a really good job specifically in 2021. They grabbed Lonnie White and Bubba Chandler, who were both elite athletes, both going to play Division One football. Bubba Chandler was going to Clemson. Lonnie White was going to Penn State. They got Thomas Harrington from Campbell, who showed really good stuff in college go last Camels year. Baseball. Yeah, go Camels baseball. And Anthony Solomeno, who was obviously a left-handed pitcher with some pretty solid stuff. Um, you you want to see if any of those guys can take the step forward. And then you look at the guys that had the hype in the past. We talk about O'Neill Cruz and Brian Hayes at the professional level, at the big leagues. But also, Nick Gonzalez took a step back. Quinn Priester's taken a step back. Henry Davis has not looked like the shell of a number one overall pick. Unbelievable. Again, is this a talent evaluation problem? Nick Gonzalez was great in college. I was sold on him. Guys were sold on him coming in the draft, and he had a great first year in pro ball. What happened? And that'll be the interesting thing to follow with this team is, is do those guys take that next step? Can we see Nick Gonzalez in Pittsburgh Pirates uniform? Does Henry Davis look like anything remotely close to a number one overall pick or God forbid, a first-round pick because he hasn't looked like either. And can Quinn Priester start to show flashes of the potential that he had, the potential that made him a top 100 prospect for multiple straight years, is when you look at the team, it's kind of just all about the youth movement. Um, So anything to add on those prospects before we close things out with the Cincinnati Reds? I hope they get better. Yeah, I hope they get better too. And and speaking of the Cincinnati Reds, I think they hope they get better because they do not have a ton of talent on their team right now. Who finishes? I think the more exciting thing this year is who finishes in last. Can can Austin Hedges, Carlos Santana, and Andrew McCutcheon lead the Pirates past the Reds? Yes. <laughs> you like you like that? Do you like that roster better than if you had to choose a roster? Prospects not included, which roster would you choose? I would probably choose, considering I don't have, quite frankly, any information on anybody outside of Keller and, and Contreras. And um, JT Brubaker had another good okay, spring training, I'm going which is the about Reds. the sixth year in The Reds. <laughs> no? <laughs> JT Brubaker didn't cite you. Reds. Uh, you know, obviously, Joey Votto had yeah, some JT success. Green, he's got like a two ERA this spring. In yeah. The grapefruit um, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo <laughs> could obviously be huge pieces for the Reds. Um, and then you obviously have a ton of prospects kicking down the door. But that's kind of the point about the Reds is what are they? You know, they have some young guys oh, with cool. some with actually a history of success. I mean, Jonathan India had the most underwhelming Rookie of the Year campaign I've ever seen. For a guy who won Rookie of the Year, uh, Nick Senzel was a third overall pick, if I'm not mistaken. Tyler Stevenson was a first-round pick. Jose Barrio, who used to be formerly oh, – I'm drawing a blank on what his last name used to be, but he used to be – any. I forget. I forget too. I should have. I shouldn't have brought it up if I knew I was going to botch it anyway. But Jose Barrio is, you know, used to be a top prospect, and and he made his debut. And and like I said, everybody's got a lot more value with that number next to their name in the prospect rankings than they do hitting two fifty in a major league lineup, like most rookies do. Um, it's nothing against the prospect. It's it's more about the industry as a whole. Complaint. Uh, get off your soapbox, Trav. It's almost ten o'clock at night. Cheers. Um, but what is this team? So they have guys that have shown success. They have guys that have shown flat. But on the whole, the roster's just meh. You know, Will Benson's a guy with elite tools. He had a 948 OPS in the minor leagues last year with the Indians, or Guardians, crap. 
Um, and obviously Jonathan India won a rookie of the year and Joey Votto has a track record of success. So before we get into the pitching, which is probably the, the only thing that we want to talk about, like when you look at this lineup, do, do you think it has potential no. to not win, even go no. 500? Does it have potential to be good? No. Even in Cincinnati where the ball no. flies? Okay. Fair. Um, <laughs> I think that, I think that your only hope and, and one of my hopes too, because when he was a prospect, I really liked him as you hope that Noel V. Marte can turn into a guy. Um, I don't love Ellie De La Cruz, and um, but I think he can be a good everyday big leaguer still. Um, I think you got to hope that Noel V. Marte, but I still don't think you're going to get Noel V. Marte this year. Like I still don't think that it's it's a this year thing. And I'm not high on Jonathan India. I'm not high on Nick Senzel. I'm not high on Tyler Stevenson. Joey Votto's a good player, I guess. Yeah, uh, kind I mean, I, of. Like, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Joey Votto had sure, a good year. Sure, sure, especially without the shift. Yeah, um, I think he for sure himself. I think he did reinvent himself in 2021 and saw the fruits of that. I just don't I think he got too happy on that. Um, he just, still needs to stick to what he is. But yeah, I mean, not I'm not a good sold. Team. No, it's not a good team. And Noel V. Marte, like when I saw that trade, I felt bad for Marte, um, mostly too. because I don't trust the Reds right, right now. You look at Austin Hendricks, who's a guy with a ton of tools, oh. probably the most bat speed in, in the draft that we've seen at least recently. Was that 2020? Yeah, 2020 like year. He was taken ago. seventh overall, and he has done nothing in pro ball. Um, they have take they like to take guys with higher ceilings, which I completely understand, but they really don't do a good job of developing those guys. So in terms of Marte, when I saw that trade, my first thought was, God, the Reds are really going to mess this up, aren't they? Like I was, <laughs> That was my first tra- that was my first thought, and I felt bad for Marte. He's just going to get lost in the shuffle. And When was the last good Reds team we had? Was it the Brandon Phillips, Zach Cozart, Joey Votto Reds? Like in 2011? COVID year, they went to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a really good rotation I mean, COVID that year. year was... Was wonky, but they had deep rotation that year. You know, you were playing like you played four teams the whole year. Like you know what I mean? Like it's like especially in this division. Right. Like it's a lot of like the bubble. Well, and they had the they had the Guardians on a down year were in that because remember they did yeah they did yeah they did crossover. But like so like I don't count that. Like the last time we had a good Reds team was like the Adam Dunn, Brandon Phillips, Zach Cozart, Joey Votto, Scott Rowland. Yeah. I mean, even in terms of that. The last time they were good, they they have a player who started on that playoff team. The last time they were good, that's now in the Hall of Fame. That's how long it's been. Yeah, but also to kind of go back to that 2020 team, I think in terms of talent, they were were good. Winker had a really good year. Suarez had a really good year. Cassianos had a really good year. They had players. They had players. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that team, Castillo was there. Um, you know, they obviously competed at a pretty high level. Throw Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo on a rotation yeah. that has those guys in the lineup, and you would be like, oh, this Reds team's yeah, feisty. Yeah, they're feisty. They're pretty good. So let's talk about those guys because that's probably the only thing that matters about this team is seeing the development of those two. Nick Lodolo had a really good stretch, at least statistically speaking, down the back end of the, str- the season last year. Um, he got a ton of swing and miss last year. He's 86th percentile in K percentage, 81st percentile in whiff percentage. But he got hit hard when contact is made, which is fine. Garrett Cole gets hit hard when contact's made. Max Scherzer gets hit hard when contact's made. That's not the end-all, be-all for a guy that can or cannot be an ace. So, obviously, he got hot down the stretch. So, you know, when you look at Nick Lodolo, he's obviously a low three-quarter slot guy. He gets a ton of horizontal break on that fastball and works a slot, a sweeper slider off of it. You know, what are kind of some of the things that make you believe that he can be an ace in this league? 
We've talked about Aaron Ashby. We've talked about Justin Steele. My favorite young pitcher in this division is Nick Lodolo. Yeah. I'm sorry he pitches for the Reds. but <laughs> We're just torching the Reds. <laughs> I'm sorry he pitches for the Reds. But I love Nick Lodolo. I think he has the stuff. I think he showed flashes that he can be an ace. I think he showed ace stuff. His sweeper slider is legit. legit. If he finds a cutter that's in between the fastball and the slider, which I think would be a good idea for him because the, the horizontal run on the fastball and then you have the slider, if you can find if something he can just that's throw something below flat. in between. Right. Yeah. And sometimes the cutter is a good in between on that. Mm-hmm. If you can find a better changeup, which he even flashed like a, a halfway decent changeup at times in some of the yeah. starts. And he was a guy because, like, I really – I will bang on the table for Nick Lodolo. And I, I think that, like – the only concern is what the Reds are going to do, but I, I think that he can really be a good pitcher, and I think he can be a breakout guy this year. And he's a guy that I love. Um, and I think that with him, it's just going to be about the confidence of being able to get outs in the strike zone, right? Because sometimes he would go starts without landing that slider, yeah. and that's not possible. Like, you, you know, you, it doesn't matter how good it is. Like, you have to be able to land it once in a while. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of Lodolo. I really am. And, I mean, he was a, he was a good pro- – he was a prospect that people knew about. People were the excited first round about pick. his draft Top year. Yeah, pick. like really good collegiate career. I think this is a guy who can – who can be a number one. And I don't think he's going to be the exciting thing for the Reds is they got another guy who could probably be a number one. So that's the brightest spot for the Reds is those two arms. That is the only bright spot. It it is the brightest spot. And, and you know, I'm not, I I have nothing against Hunter green. I don't. And honestly, at at some point it's probably going to start to seem like I do. um, Because when I was in college, I wrote an article, you know, and it was kind of just, he, he actually was my epiphany that like, hey, man, maybe Velo is in everything because it was in the Futures game at Nationals Park. He threw a cookie heater in a 2-0 count. And I said, you know, everybody's been giving this guy an 80-grade fastball. I think 80-grade fastball should get swings and misses 2-0. In a in a prospect all star game, no doubt you throw on a hundred two, and he got clipped a hundred two. You are so good at sports media, dude. You you talking about one? You're basing your whole projection on one pitch. Okay, but let me <laughs> let's go into it a little bit more. He had a tendency to do it, and that's why in reality his prospect status fell off. If you really yes, track the did. career of Hunter Green, and I wrote a whole article for Prospects three sixty five back when I was in college, and it kind of was just revaluing Humble the eighty grade. Yeah, revaluing the eighty grade fastball and kind of based around that that kind of epiphany of like wait like he threw that 102 and he got clipped bad you know guys don't hit 100 plus for home runs in the big leagues i think that year it would have been the only ball over 100 plus hit for a home run now it happens a lot more frequency um but that was in 2018 i believe um back when it wasn't as frequent to see guys popping hundreds on the daily basis um but guys back then just didn't get hit when they threw 100 and he was getting hit and you know it kind of just intrigued some curiosity to me he's obviously everybody's favorite pick to break out every year i mean again he throws i have a question though i'm sorry he struck out 164 guys. I know he struck out 164. But, like, are we going to get to the part where he did fix some of those things? He did, and the fastball shape has been much better, which I wrote down in these notes. So it's not like I'm ignoring that. He has three and a half inches of horizontal break above average. It's a really good fastball, obviously. But he gets clubbed when it gets hit. But don't you think that's something that you can, you can as, you, as a young pitcher, that that happens to a lot of guys? 
like don't you think that a lot of guys with big fastballs who have made their 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 whole career coming up through the system on fastballs have gotten clubbed early in their big league careers when it gets hit? Don't you yes. think that's something that he can make an adjustment adjustment on, a, a further adjustment, and take another step forward with that pitch that's so dominant? I think my question and would couldn't be, it be well, as simple as 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 just finding a secondary pitch that he can land more he's often? Supposed to have great secondary pitches. I, I'm not saying. That, I just I just think that like there is some room for him to continue to get like there's some. Room, I'm not. I'm not closing the door on Hunter Green. I no, guess I'm is not what I'm either. Saying. I'm not. I'm, I mean, like, he could very well be an ace. I just think there has been points where he's talked about in a light that he's not quite frankly in yet. Sure, because everyone loves the radar gun. Yeah, I think exactly. you're right with that. He gets talked about in the light that, and he's a name that more people know than some other guys who deserve some more shine yeah. because of the radar gun, and that's fair. I just think that for me, no, the like, strikeouts are real. This right, like, and that's something that I mean, we talk about it all the time. That's something that matters. Like, if you're getting swings and misses, you're a valuable commodity. Yeah, um, and getting clipped doesn't matter either. Like like I said about right. Lodolo, like, you can get hit hard and still be an ace. Correct. I just think, like, he actually, like, in terms of, like, last season, like, in terms of peripherals, sure, he, a- had a, he had a quote-unquote good. Good year with yeah, the whip percentages. I think if we're gonna and good, sit here and he and, pitched to like a four seven. But if we're gonna sit here and judge other guys based off of their but, peripherals, okay. why can we just because we're not a huge fan of one guy then no, sit here I'm just, and just be like, oh well, the Hunter Green because of his his peripherals were good quotation marks. No, no, <laughs> but that's my point. Is like he still got like his expected stats still weren't great when his whiff percentages were good. Was more of my point. Sure, but of like he was like like and people were like. Gaslighting him to the point where they like, were. he was like dominating, and then he went. You're to talking the cup. about people. You're he talking about the, pitching ninja. Who, yeah, well, uh, and, pitching ninja posts every fastball he throws. Yeah, and I think that it was also the part, partially the media as well of like, because again, what Hunter Green is is 102. It's gas. Right. It's top of the line velocity, but like. Everybody's like, oh, this guy's great. This guy's great. And he goes against the Dodgers. He gives up like seven the runs. First, and I was going to bring that up, actually. I just, <laughs> Before like, I started having to defend him, I was going to bring up the I, start. I just <laughs> – I think he can be really good. But, like, we've seen this with Chris Archer, too. Oh, for sure. Like, he's, a better, he's more he's, Chris Archer in my mind than he is. Which, again, Chris Archer had a great career. Chris Archer definitely should be, you know, get Chris credit. Archer, Chris Archer didn't have a great career. He competed for Cy Young's multiple years. One, one year. Okay. Still, <laughs> he was dominant in stretches. Right, and I think Hunter, Hunter Green, Green is dominant in stretches. Hunter Green's comparison is more Chris Archer to me than it is Garrett Cole. I would I would not think that's an unfair statement to make. But in everybody else's mind, you go on Baseball Savant it right would now, be it's 2023's breakout Correct. pitcher Fair of the enough. year is Hunter Green. Fair right enough. there. I don't agree with that. Okay, I don't ag- I'm, I'm with you on that. I just think that if Hunter Green ended up being Garrett Cole instead of Chris Archer, I also wouldn't be like, oh, I would wow, put, who saw this coming? And like, I'd the, be like, okay. This is where, like, again, we can go back to like the scouting world, but – probabilities of everything i think he has a 15 percent probability of his ceiling which is garrett cole and he has a 45 percent probability of being chris archer and he has do that math in your head 40 percent possible or we could split that up 15 and 25 whatever however you'd want to do it of being you I know think he'd be in the mid i think he's a, i think the highest 
probability for a guy like Hunter Green is to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and that that's kind of what I'm saying here yeah. is like if you I think we should start ranking prospects in terms of more of probabilities of their ceilings to floor and I think like he definitely has a reliever risk in him. Like I definitely there think there's part reliever, of that. But there's always going to be reliever risk yeah, with guys like that. I just want to see more. Like I Again, I'm not sitting here saying, like, I, I have nothing against. Like, who knows? In a year, I could be talking about how great he is because he, he reined it in. He started pitching we'll on make sure the, to he, he started pitching on the edges more than he pitched in the middle. But I just feel like there's a tendency to, when he does get, when balls get hit, they get hit really, really hard. And, again, that's not the end of the world, but you really have to learn how to, you know, control damage because, you know, in terms of stuff-wise, he, he has a big league stuff. For sure, and he proved it. And again, he when you see 165 it, yeah. Ks in 125 innings, that excites you a little bit. And I get why people, again, people love the radar gun. Yeah. Especially when it's a starting pitcher. They love radar guns, especially when it's a starting pitcher. Everyone loves radar guns. You go to yeah. a high school game, and there's probably a dad behind the backstop with a pocket radar. With a pocket radar. I mean, I think I saw a dad at the Little League game, a Little League practice in Lillington with a pocket radar today. So, he had a whistle, so I'm sure he had a pocket radar. Definitely. He was getting the velos on his 10-year-olds, throwing pens, making sure we But I, I I would also like to finish this by saying I think Nick Lodolo is the better pitcher for sure. I would I'm agree a huge, with that. I'm a Nick Lodolo fan. I'm a big Nick Lodolo yeah, fan. Yeah, I, I would mean, agree I, with that. And I think Hunter Green has the higher ceiling, right? But, like, at what point does – what well, I if, think we let him get past what, his rookie year. Well, at, at what point does what if – he does he gets past, Let him at least get past his yeah, rookie year. And my point is, is at what point does saying, what if Hunter Green becomes this, when does it become what he actually has been? Because he didn't pitch great in the minors either. I know, but when he He's, took, He does not have very much track record of success fair, at any level. We, but the strikeouts have always been We got there. We got to give him more than 125 and two-thirds it, innings. We have, I'm, I'm speaking whole picture, minor league baseball included. In yeah, but we've had, seen guys we who have No, I agree. I'm just saying in terms of, like, I have not personally seen anything, statistically speaking, to prove that Hunter Green is going to be an ace. I hate that you've made me defend Hunter Green so far because I don't really love him that much. And I, I, I have tended to lean on the overrated side, but I also love defending people. Yeah, I just fun. think that – I just think that – I don't know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to more of a wait and see, and I'm not ready to pull the trigger. I'm at least willing to give – I'm another, not pulling the trigger. I'm just saying – Another I, year I think we need to tone down the hype. Fair enough. And you've clearly seen more hype than I have. Yes. I'm going to throw that out there. I haven't seen as much hype as you. The as algorithms you have. must have my hatred yeah, towards Hunter Green. They, they, they know, know I click. There's no doubt. Elon that, Musk knows. <laughs> he knows that I do not like Hunter Green, apparently, which is not true. <laughs> Elon um, I have nothing against Hunter Green. Yeah, we'll see um, what he I thinks. I remember when Harold Reynolds said he would be better as a shortstop in professional baseball. See, I don't remember these. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> and You've got it. This is this is going. So, like, as I, it goes back way the layers back. here. This goes way back. Goes way back. I also said I also said Brendan McKay would be better as a hitter than a pitcher, um, and he hasn't had much success as a pitcher. Brendan McKay hasn't been healthy as a pitcher. He hasn't had much success because he hasn't been healthy. (laughs) (laughs) But I was sold on him as a hitter. I think the bat would have played. I think we'll we'll talk about Brendan McKay when we talk about the Rays. No, we won't actually (laughs) because he's not going to make an impact with the Rays this year, most likely. So, but until next time, uh, hopefully we'll be able to come to you in person again. Um, that was a lot of fun. These previews do take a little bit of time. So, um, you know, the episode is going to be a little bit longer, but make sure you like, share, and subscribe the podcast. Uh, 
make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the podcast, not subscribe the podcast. That didn't make any sense. Um, and make sure if you're going to any live events, SeatGeek is Opening your, days in a week. Yep. Opening day is exactly a week from today. You're going to listen to this on Friday. Uh, making sure you're getting your tickets. Use the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Get $20 off your first ticket purchase. Again, BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode.